Welcome to Focus on 2025. I'm Michael Moore in Singapore. With me are my two partners, Chris Beaumont in Japan and Chris Riley in the United States. In our last podcast, we talked about the urgency for all business to have a clear strategic leadership narrative. Specifically, how that narrative can actually be a management tool for leaders and can help companies move beyond the limitations of marketing thinking and into the realm of creative thinking. And in doing so, they are able to do the right thing in the right way. So in this podcast, we wanted to bring that concept to life by focusing on a few best practices of the strategic leadership narrative. So Chris Beaumont, Unilever and Sony are two good examples of where strategic leadership narratives have dramatically changed the fortunes of world-class companies. So what's your take on these? There is a common theme, although the contexts are different, and that's leadership. If we consider Unilever first, then they have been transformed truly to a company for the sustainable age. And for them, there's no contradiction between being sustainable for the planet and ensuring a sustainable business growth and winning. And if you look at their stated plan, the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, their actual sustainable brands have continuously and consistently outperformed the average growth rates of their other brands in the portfolio. And that's allowed them to institutionalize it and become part of the fabric and the operating DNA. And going forward, the Unilever Compass has sustainability at the heart of their strategy and their strategic intent. There's no difference between the consumer behavior or their business. But it wasn't easy. It took a leader, uh, Dr. Paulus Pullman, who had been with P&G and Nestle, um, and he had a tough time. I mean, he basically felt the world that we want to live in has to be achieved and we have to choose action over indifference and we have to be courageous rather than just comfortable or lazy. And we have to be together rather than divisive. But in four or five earnings reports, his shareholders criticized him, but he stuck to his guns. And now we have this sustainable business, which is part of their DNA, with very, very strong brands. And they have a purpose and companies with a purpose can grow. If we go back to a burnt out department store in Tokyo, it's a bit different context for Akio Morita, but he had a vision, he had charisma, and he was singular. He didn't want to ask people what they wanted, he would develop and innovate things that would enhance people's lives. Um, he wanted products that were the very best, that they were the most reliable. He didn't want the Sony brand of Betamix to be generic. So that's why VHS won, even though VHS was poor. Interestingly, when made in Japan meant nothing, he made made in Japan something that people wanted to buy. And he did that by only exporting the very best products, the ones that had achieved great success domestically. Um, But unfortunately, his untimely passing meant the context changed fundamentally and perhaps for two decades, um, Sony lost its way and had no sustainable strategic narratives. 
Yeah, and, and sort of turning from the east to the west, Chris Riley, you worked at Apple and are also very familiar with uh, Patagonia. So the two great examples of strategic leadership narratives, although in different ways. Um, can you maybe articulate that in more detail? Well, it's interesting listening to Chris talk about Akia Morita because Akia Morita was one of Steve Jobs' heroes. And so if you listen to what Steve just, sorry, Chris just um, said about Akia Morita, you can see that Apple's modeled in many ways on that uh, path. Uh, made in Japan, every single product says made in California. So, mm. or designed in California now, not made in California. Um, so I think that... Um, this this notion of the story is not simply a mission statement and a vision statement. It's a broader and more complicated cultural leadership of a company is what we mean by strategic leadership narrative. And in the case of um, in the case of Apple, uh, you can interview there's several million people probably by now who's worked for Apple and we'd all have a slightly different uh, reflection on what the narrative would be. My reflection would be that uh, Apple's dedicated to enabling people to get the most out of technology and that it's focused on individuals. And uh, the Mac is a success because they were the only company to try and sell a computer to the consumer at that time. Everybody else was selling to enterprise. Um, that's my version of the narrative. I think if you go and talk to somebody else, they may think something slightly different, but you'd find that everybody broadly says a similar thing, uh, which is if people get the most out of the Mac or out of the iPod or out of the iPhone or the Apple TV these days or this watch thing, um, then that's a mission accomplished. And, and we applied that also to the launch of Apple.com. How do people get the most out of Apple.com? So we didn't think of it as a marketing tool. <clears throat> we thought of it as an extension of the products themselves. You go into the store. How can people get the most out of a Mac when they walk into a store? So, so an elderly woman who wants to send photographs to her grandchildren, that's what she's shown. So I think that uh, Apple's obviously the case study of a well-led company under Tim Cook as well as Steve Jobs. Uh, but they don't manage the company by having a mission and vision statement, as far as I know, in the way other companies do. And that's fine. Nike has innovation and inspiration for every athlete, and that's fine for them. Patagonia does have a mission statement. They want to improve the planet by being in business, or the language, they have a slightly different language than that. But uh, one of the things I've always loved about Patagonia is quite at a critical moment in, in Patagonia's history, uh, when they were suffering a decline in sales, they just bet the farm on who they were. And, and Chenard um, wrote a book and they sold the book in the stores and it was let, let my people go surfing. The purpose of the company was to enable people to appreciate, enjoy and love uh, the outdoors. And it infuses everything that they do. And I think they've managed to evolve that to being quite activist, very unusually so for a business. And what they found is the more activists they become, the more loyal and the more new customers they have. Uh, so it's a real incredible story of betting the farm on your belief system and uh, letting... Now, clothing and technology are different. Clothing, uh, a lot of what you wear is about who you are and its function is actually only a certain part. Most of these things work pretty well, but in technology, uh, the story uh, is less important than the function and the benefits. Um, if the computer doesn't work, you can have a great story and nobody will buy it. 
But um, in clothing and in footwear, uh, quite often the, uh, the story is paramount. But Patagonia people love being Patagonia people because of that narrative. And Apple people love being Apple people, not because it's cool, but because their products work. So um, those two are, are pretty good examples there, I think. So in, in summary, the, the strategic leadership narrative makes strategy work because it influences the way people think, feel, and behave. So whether it's the closest employees to the most distant customer influencer, uh, the strategic leadership narrative ultimately has to move hearts and minds. Um, and that is something we will continue to focus on in 2025. <laughs>